and gentlemen, may I have your attention for This is it! Five, six, seven, eight. talent and see what we can do with it. You're gonna make me believe that you belong on that stage. Dancing on that show is my dream. Tommy, can you hear me? Honey, honey, how he thrills me. Uh-huh, honey, honey. Honey, honey, nearly kills me. Uh-huh, honey, honey. I heard about him before. I wanted to know some more. And now I know what they mean. He's a love machine. Oh, he makes me dizzy. <laughs> Folks, I'm going to be completely honest with you. It is 100% okay to have guilty pleasures in this lifetime. You know, sometimes you have a terrible day at work. Sometimes you have an awful rehearsal. Sometimes your home life might be stressing you out. And that is why escaping for a couple hours, unwinding, unhinging, turning your brain off, it's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's why we have things like chocolate and pizza and jacuzzis and wine and things like Mamma Mia! The Movie. And I'll be... Even more honest with you, when this first was announced, when this show was announced and first opened on Broadway, I had very low expectations of it. I doubted the quality of a movie like this could be. I doubted the extensiveness of the fan base. And I will count this as one of the prime examples of how wrong I have been in the past when it comes to calling some of these things when uh, they first come out. So... This has become, obviously, a global phenomenon. It had a phenomenal, incredible Broadway run. It is being performed all over the world. It is one of the most popular titles that is produced by community, high school, college theaters. And now we have two movies based on the the show. And today we're doing the first one. I promise we will get to the second one soon, probably before the end of the year. Maybe it's a good bookend of the year. You know, we're doing one now and we'll do one you know, later on. But um, yeah, no, this, this is a global, global phenomenon. And, you know, when I saw that it was available on Netflix to watch, I was like, all right, guess I found my next episode. Uh, and I, I got to be honest with you, I am, I am not an ABBA hater, but I would never classify myself as a fan. But I was surprised on how many songs in this show and movie I enjoyed. And also knew and had no idea that was ABBA. So, surprise all around. And I've got a great guest with me for this podcast, Denise Smoker, who has some really amazing ties and, and reasons why she loves this movie, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast, but I thought it was pretty special and that's why I wanted to have her on. So this will be a fun one. So if you haven't seen Mamma Mia yet, the 2008 smash hit, and I guess you could say that sequel that just came out last year was a smash as well. I definitely recommend listening, to, oh, excuse me, watching it before you listen to the rest of this podcast because there's a lot of spoilers, a couple big spoilers. And we're going to talk about everything. We're going to be talking about Meryl Streep. We're going to be talking about how beautiful the film looks. We're going to be talking about the songs. And we're going to be talking about Pierce Brosnan because that performance is almost just as legendary. So sit back, relax. Like I said, if you haven't watched Mamma Mia yet, please do so. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to be joined by my guest, Denise Smoker. But first, as always, here's the trailer. It's my last night of freedom, which is how some people might see it. But for me, it's the last night before the greatest adventure of my life. (laughs) Sophie's wedding will be everything she dreamed. (laughs) The only thing that's missing... Glad you're here because I have a secret and I can tell anybody. Is the father of the bride. You are expecting us. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> yes. From the worldwide smash hit musical. I found my mom's diary. And I have three possible fathers. Which one did you invite? Oh my god. My mom doesn't know anything. She's got no idea that you're her lovely surprise. Oh! 
Universal Pictures invites you to celebrate the movie event everyone's been waiting for. I've got three dads coming to my wedding, and they all think that they're giving me away. And we're back, and I am now joined by my incredible, amazing, energetic co-host, Miss Denise Smoker. How are you tonight? I am great. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. I am really excited to have you on this podcast. You know, when I put out a notice on Facebook to say that I was looking for co-hosts for certain types of movies, I mean, you were one of the first people to kind of, you know, raise your hand in the in the web, so to speak, um, and ironically enough i mean interesting enough i mean mama mia is a pretty popular movie in your household uh, could you could you talk a little bit more about that oh yeah um my daughter who is a uh, junior musical theater major in college is addicted to this movie um i mean wow. i think she and her friends went to see the sequel like you know the minute it opened so i didn't see it in the theater but i've seen it many times you know at at home with her um, and Lord knows, listen to the music ad nauseum in the car. So, um, and I love ABBA. So for, for me, I don't mind that. I, I'm a child of the seventies. So like I was the disco queen generation. So get out of here. Really? No, I love ABBA. My husband hates it. He's like, he was more the, you know, he's only a year older than me, but he was definitely disco was not his thing. Not um, his thing. Okay. but I love it. So, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we've I've definitely seen this movie uh, more than a few times, and I did rewatch it in preparation for this. So well, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So so Denise, tell me this: I mean, you're a huge fan of ABBA to begin with. When you initially heard that they were making, let's just start out with the stage musical before we even get to the movie. When you heard that they were making a stage musical just using ABBA songs, I mean, what was your reaction to that? I mean, I love the music, and I figured it would be fun. Um, I wondered what they were going to do with the plot. And mm -hmm. I think one of my my, you know, issues with both the movie and the stage play is that, you know, it, it, I don't think they did a fantastic job of weaving a plot around these songs. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's that's always hard to do. Oh, great. My husband's calling me on the phone. I'm ignoring. <laughs> um, um, but um, I think, you know, and I think that was a, a bigger problem with this movie musical that end with the stage play than with some other you know like jersey boys or other shows where they've tried to shoehorn the music of of some kind of performer into a into a musical yeah um, but i think the music is so fun that nobody really cares i was gonna say it's 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 it, what's weird about this movie for me was that i i wasn't a huge abba fan i knew maybe like two or three songs that they had done and then you know, watching this, um, you know, hearing the the score and everything like that, I was like, oh my god! I, I first of all, I had no idea some some of the songs that I recognized were actually ABBA. Um, yeah, but I actually ended up enjoying a lot more of it than I than I thought. So, so tell me about like you know, obviously the first couple times you've watched this, um, you know, obviously your daughter's a huge fan. What did you notice anything new about this time? You know, watching it again that you might not have had noticed before. Well, I think I was definitely watching it with a more critical eye than I have before. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, for me, this movie's like the definition of guilty pleasure. You know, it <laughs> it really, it's just fun. And, you know, it's one of those, I'm not a musical snob, even with stage musicals. I fully mm -hmm. believe that not every musical needs to be this deep moving, not everything needs to be Hamilton or Les Mis. You know, there's a place in the world of musicals for stuff like Crazy for You, which is just sheer, pure fun. And I think that's what this is. So I think this is the first time I really looked at it with like a critical eye and realized how many gazillion plot holes there are. In this oh, my gosh. And um, one thing you might I don't know if you do know about me, but in addition to my day job as a lawyer, I'm an author. Um, I write oh. romance novels under a pen. Oh, my gosh. And so, you know, for me to, like, when you start like finding all the real plot holes and, and when we, um, romance novelists, we tend to use a lot of the same, um, structure that people writing screenplays do. A lot of the books we use are things like Save the Cat and all these books mm. specific for screenplay. So I started looking at it more with my novelist hat on and, um, and you could see all the plot holes. Wow. Well, first of all, I had no idea that you were also a, a romance novel writer, um, so that just made me like 10 times more interested on your take on 
not only this movie musical, but you know, all movie musicals. So, uh, and down the line, we are definitely going to do this again. Cause I would definitely want your perspective on a lot of these rom- more romantics, um, movie musicals of, especially of the, the, the golden days of Hollywood too. So really interesting oh, to hear I'm- your take on this. Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, for me, I mean, what was interesting was that I think for a lot of people, there's this predisposition with, with ABBA and Mamma Mia that it's going to be terrible. It's going to be cheese. It's going to be awful. And I mean, it's an entertaining movie. It really is. I mean, it's one of those films that's like, I could sit back, I could watch this at a party. I could watch this in the theater. I could watch this having, you know, wine with my friends and, and sing along. It's just a good entertaining film. I call them laundry folding movies, too. There's like certain movies that I'll watch when I'm folding laundry and certain ones that I can't because you have to pay too much attention, you know? Mm. So, like, I think this is a great laundry folding movie. That's a good... You know what? I've never heard of that before. I like that. I think I made it up, but I don't know. But that's just how, like, I know when I'm folding laundry or doing... You know, when I have other little menial tasks to do, there's certain stuff I'll watch and certain stuff where I'm like, no, that requires too much of my attention. I think you just coined a new phrase there, folks. I mean, laundry, laundry folding movie. I like that. Um, and the other thing, too, I mean, this is a gorgeous looking film, too. I mean, just the photography of it, um, the way that it was filmed, the direct, the lighting, the scenery. I mean, the fact that they actually did film on the Greek Isles, I think, really helps, too. Uh, yeah, it but definitely yeah, makes me want to go to Greece. That's for sure. Right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was basically a two-hour advertisement to go to the Greek Isles. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. And we'll def- I, I, I've got some notes on that later on. Um, as well, and the, but, other yeah. thing, the other thing I like about it as a woman of a certain age, <laughs> mm. <cough>. um, <laughs> you know, you don't see a lot of movies, um, with leads with women of my age in their fifties, especially where women in their, in their fifties who still are, I don't know how to say this without being too risque. I do write pretty, um, steamy romance novels, but, um, <laughs> you know, they, they still have they're sexual beings, you know yeah. what I'm saying? They're not, yeah. not, they're not just somebody's mother. You know, Donna's not just Sophie's mother. You know, she's, she's still a whim, a woman in her own right. And then a lot of times mm. in movies, you don't see women, once you get, you know, 40 plus, you know, you're relegated to, um, you know, a lot of times roles where you're not the, the central leading lady. Anymore. Right. And so, you know, I think that's why a lot of, doesn't explain why my daughter's obsessed with this movie, but I think it explains why a lot of my my writer friends and my my women friends of my age why we all like this movie because you can see something of yourself in it, especially because there's the three women. So you can see, you know, you well, I'm more like you know Donna, or well, no, I'm a you know I'm definitely Julie Walters, but um, <laughs> uh, I think we all want to be Christine. We all want to be. <laughs> definitely more julie walters um you know so i think for for women of my age we gravitate toward this movie because you can see something of yourself in it yeah definitely i mean and i i for me i think i definitely can see why maybe your daughter you know loves this movie so much because it is i mean a large part of this movie is about mothers and daughters and their relationships with one another and um and this movie does i think a good job much better than i think the stage show does of really portraying that relationship in, in an accurate fashion um you know there's discussions that happen in this movie that really do happen between i I would imagine mothers and daughters especially when it comes to those times when when marriage and and that type of stage in their lives are are happening so i can definitely see why um that there's that connection there which i think is pretty cool as well so um any other general thoughts about this movie no i mean i think we'll get into the more the the nitty gritty and the nitpicky stuff of it but overall i I think i think we've done a pretty good overview good okay so let's move on folks so as we all know when anytime we're watching some of these movie musicals sometimes there's a moment that happens on screen that just gives us the chills it gets us a little emotional maybe a little teary-eyed um and then of course maybe there's the vice versa where it's like oh gosh that didn't work at all um and i like to call those chill scenes so denise i'm gonna start with you did you have any chill scenes during Mamma Mia? Well, I think the most obvious chill scene for me, and it's probably because I am the mother of a daughter, is the scene where she's singing to her when she, when they're getting ready for the wedding. Mm. Um, you know, because to me that's so, you know, they've had this fight and they still haven't fully made up for the from the fight, which mm-hmm. is really sort of real. You know, she, she goes to her mother and says, can you help me? But they never really resolve all the issues from their argument which is totally realistic, but yet they put them aside 
you know, for, for her to help her in this, you know, you're not going to fight with your kid the day before their, you know, the day of morning of their wedding. At least you're going to try not to. No matter how much, you know, one of the notes I wrote when I was watching this was at first I was like, wait, how old is she? And then she said she's 20. I'm like, oh, my God, my daughter's 20 now. She's almost 21. I would have had a heart attack if she came to me and said she was getting married at 20. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, so I'm sure um, that uh, Donna feels much of the same feelings, um, you know, but she puts them aside to be there for her daughter. So I think for me, that's the 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 probably the biggest chill scene and the fight yeah. the fight too, but in a different way, mm. um, you know, just because it's, you know, it's kind of real. Yeah, no, I definitely get that. I mean, I, I, I had a similar feeling during that scene and actually that entire sequence of that leading into the wedding gave me a little bit of a chill there. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree a hundred percent with where you're coming from. Um, yeah, for me, it's, it's a weird movie being just a, a I think a guy, first of all, because, you know, I have a completely different perspective on parental relationships and um being a son rather than a daughter and and also you know being um you know not coming from a single parent household too i think that also you know for anybody watching this who does come from a single parent household um this takes on a whole different meaning uh for them as well so um it was a little different for me i'm sure there's you know i can't think of any off the top of my head about fathers and sons but i'm sure when those movie musicals come up i'll definitely have a lot more you know chills than i did perhaps uh, with this movie as well. Um, moving on, folks, we know that not every single movie answers all of our questions. Sometimes mysteries are left unsolved. Sometimes questions are left unanswered. And I call these, of course, lingering questions. Now, Denise, you alluded to this earlier, how you know when you were watching this over again, you found a lot more plot holes um, than you know, previously that you discovered watching this before. What are just, just let's start rattling them off. What are some of your lingering questions uh, that you felt found during this movie? I think the biggest number, number one one is why did these guys accept the invitation in the first place? Yeah, that was kind of weird. Like this letter just comes out of the blue and okay, well, all right, I'll drop everything. Let's go. I mean, I know you need to get them there, you know, as an mm. as author and a plot person, I'm like, okay, I have to get these guys to this island. How am I going <laughs> to do it? Um, but, you know, it even struck me at one point. Pierce Brosnan's character, Sam, even says, well, I don't want to see Donna. No, I, I, can't, I can't see her now. Well, then why did you come? <laughs> I, I mean, that was the whole thing, right? That was the, it was the fact that they were going to see her. That's what drew them back to the island, right? I mean, yes, I thought that was I always mean, the, the stipulation. I, yeah, and I believe, uh, you know, my, 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 I had a chat with my daughter this afternoon, too, and she pointed out even more um, plot things. Her number one was why don't Sophie's friends know her fiance? Oh yeah. Like, like how did she meet her fiance? She's only 20. Was she in school? Was she, how did she meet this guy? And why do her friends, why have they never met him before? <laughs> that was her I mean, question. That's a, and you know, to follow up on that, why are all of her friends and fiance from the United Kingdom? Um, like they're her two yeah. friends get off the boat. One has a British accent. The other has a thick Irish brogue. And then Dominic yeah, Cooper is British. The day of the wedding, like everybody, <laughs> or the day before the wedding, everybody comes in the day before the wedding. Like, wouldn't you go like a week earlier to have like a bachelorette thing? Or uh, you I mean, know? that is a destination of a destination wedding. I mean, that no is kidding. doesn't get I better than that. Really you know? <laughs> like, I'll get there a week but, early. Uh, yeah, but I think the biggest plot hole is why, why do the guys accept the invitation? That's a great you know, question. It, it's never really answered. I mean, I know they have to, but, and then the other thing I couldn't understand is why none of these guys, the minute they get there and meet Sophie and see Donna has a daughter, it takes them half the movie to think, oh, geez, I could be her father. <laughs> why? Can, can none of them do math? I mean, I would, you know, the first thing I would think was like, wait a minute, how old are you? You're right. Oh crap. But it seems like none of them go there until about the midpoint of the movie. And when... it all happens at the same time for the three of them too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, it's like all of a sudden like deus ex machina, blah, da, da, they all, you know, <laughs> like some lightning bolt comes down and strikes all three of them. And they're like, crap. And then when they do that, she doesn't disabuse any of them of the notion that they're her father. Instead right. of saying, well, you might be, but it could be the, she, she just says, yes, you're my father. Walk me down the aisle to all three of them. And I couldn't understand her. I mean, unless she's just trying to not hurt anybody's feelings right away. I, right. I wasn't sure what her motivation was. 
it was one of those things where too, it's like once, I mean, I, th- this, I think was more of a casting decision, but when, when you're casting those three actors in those roles, I mean, the second you did you see them, I'm like, all right, mystery debunked. It's probably Stellan Sarsgaard's father. You know, it's like just in terms of the look yeah. of Amanda Seyfried and, and Stellan Sarsgaard. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was really interesting. And, and I, there's this weird moment and you'd have to, it's a really singular moment, but when, when Colin Firth's character, Harry comes up to her during the party and is like, Oh my God, I'm your father. They, they used a weird take of, of Amanda Seyfried's character reacting to that. Cause she does this like Harry, like this scream at him. And it just doesn't make sense. in like the, the sequence of how they're talking and stuff like that. It's like, it's this very exasperated Harry uh, reaction to him coming up to her. And I was just like, wait, did they use the wrong take uh, in that yeah. final one? It's just a very weird out of place, emotional moment, but uh, caught my eye nonetheless. So great take on you. But what other uh, plot holes, lingering questions did you find uh, as well? Well, the other one my daughter actually pointed out, it ties into your, why does everybody have the, these, you know, nobody's from the Island is, it appears that Sophie doesn't understand Greek at one point, and she and she she's lived on the island her whole life. You'd think you might pick some up, and also where the heck did her accent? Like she doesn't even have any sort of a Greek accent, but she's none lived, whatsoever. Yeah, they're her whole. Life. So, and, well, this is like the most diverse melting pot of a Greek island I've ever seen. By the way, I mean I think every nationality in every country is represented in this movie. Yeah, I felt like it was sort of an enclave of expats from like all over the place. You know? <laughs> like, like, like how I want to retire, you know, when an enclave right. of expats on an island somewhere. So. <laughs> that's not, you know, that's not bad. But, it, you know, the only things that looked marginally Greek in, in terms of the cast were, you know, that when she goes in and there's the old women there doing the dishes or whatever you know and then the older guy with it you know they have like the people in the background that they're trying to give it a real obviously give it a real island greek right well you know the thing that was weird to me was that like you know meryl streep in the you know obviously her character at the beginning is talking about money 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 and needing more money and i'm like not for nothing but you've got it pretty good on this island i mean you live in basically what is an estate that you've turned into a hotel so to speak um and from from when you see these sequences, especially during the Dancing Queen sequence, when they're kind of walking yep. through the town, I mean, it just doesn't look like it's a very, you know, um, uh, you know, wealthy area. So I'm like, you know, she's actually got a pretty good in this movie, um, so to speak, when you compare it to the rest of people. I kind of felt like she's how, you know, in all those old Regency England things, there's these lords with these huge mansions that they mm. can't afford the upkeep on. I, 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 it kind of gave me that kind of vibe. You know, I yes. inherited this thing and that's great, but now I have to pay all these taxes on it. And uh, I think that was the sort of the vibe they were going for. Yeah, that's good. That's a good, that's a good answer there. Um, any other lingering questions before we move on? I'm looking through my notes, but I don't know. I, I think those were the big, you those know, are good ones though. I mean, those are definitely topics. good ones. I, I, I did not catch those at all. So good, good on you and your daughter, by the way. So there you go. Um, all right. So folks, we know that when we're casting these movie musicals, a lot of people are considered for these roles. Very few times um, do, you know, the, the first choice that producers and writers were thinking about end up in the movie. And, and so what we'd like to do here is ask the question, would this movie have been better with choice B or choice 1A or whoever else was being considered for some of these roles. Now, I didn't tell Denise any of these people before this podcast, so this is going to be a complete surprise (laughs) to you because I wanted kind of a genuine reaction. So one of the the actresses that was up for the role of, let me just make sure I get the names right, Sophie, uh, which ended up going to Amanda Seyfried, was Mandy Moore, who is now on This Is Us. Oh, so I have to ask, starting off, first question, Denise, would this movie have been better with Mandy Moore instead of Amanda Seyfried? That's a tough one, because I think, in in my opinion, I prefer Mandy Moore as an actress and a singer, but she has a more mature vibe, and mm. I'm not sure that would have worked for Sophie for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So that's tough. If it was just on pure, especially singing, I think she's a better singer. Um. But if I was casting for, you know, as you always do, you're casting for more than one consideration, right? Mm-hmm. I think Amanda Seyfried has a more that youthful sort of Sophie exuberance that you want from a 20-year-old. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think she also matched up better with Meryl Streep as a mother-daughter. Yeah, than... it looks more like mother and mother and daughter. Although Mandy Moore sort of, I could still see her, you know, let's face it. It would have been interesting, yeah. yeah. I just think she reads too mature and that and that Sophie gives a more, um, you know, and I, and I think, I mean, uh, Amanda gives a more, you know, younger vibe. And I think Sophie has to have that. She is kind of a little bit flighty. I mean, let's face it, you know, spoiler alert, she calls off the wedding at the end. So, yeah, um, <laughs> um, you know, so she, and, which I'm not saying I blame her that it's the wrong decision, but she's definitely a little bit, you know, she's young and a little bit flighty. So, right. Exactly. Well, good choice. I, I agree. I think, I think Amanda Seyfried would have, it was the right choice, uh, but many more would have been a different and equally interesting choice yeah. uh, for that role as well. All right. So way. different and equally interesting. I like that. Exactly. Exactly. So for the role of Donna, which ended up going to obviously Meryl Streep, one of the actresses that was considered for this role was Olivia Newton-John. Oh, can I just say I would have loved to have seen that. Right? I haven't seen her in like forever in anything. It, and it's I think been a that while. Been awesome just for like, I don't want to say the shock value, but you know what I mean? Just for like the, oh my God, like, where has she been? Where has um, she been? And also, I think Olivia Newton-John singing ABBA songs. I don't know. Something about that on paper just seems right to me. Well, maybe because, you know, that she was a star of that era. So mm. I think it just seems like it's a natural, you know, you know, to to quote Greece, we go together, you know. Um, exactly. So I, I think that's right. But, yeah, I, I, uh, you know. Again, I don't know if it would be better or worse, but dang, I would have loved to have seen that. Oh, it would have been great. I mean, you know, Meryl Streep is, you know, obviously one of the great actresses of our time and doesn't, you know, I think she does a fine job here, but vocally, I think, yeah, I, I, Olivia Newton-John, I mean, she's, that this is what she does. She sings. Yeah. And, you know, I think vocally that just would have been such an interesting performance to see. Acting wise, I don't know. I don't think you would have gotten the depth uh, and nuance, obviously, of Meryl Streep, but Man, like vocally, that would have been that would have been really interesting. Yeah. So, all right, another one, last one. Here we go. Ready? So, for the character of Sam, which we all know went to Pierce Brosnan, almost notoriously at this point, infamously <laughs> went to Pierce Brosnan, and we'll talk a lot more about that later. But one of the actors that was considered for that role heavily was Donny Osmond. Oh, I love me some Donny Osmond. <laughs> oh my God, Donny Osmond and Olivia Newton-John. Can you imagine? Ah, um, I, I think I would have definitely gone with Donny Osmond. <laughs> I don't care how bad his acting is. It's the the part's not all that. It's you know I think the Donna part requires a lot more nuance. So mm -hmm. I could where you would say yeah Meryl Streep just because of the acting. I, I think the the guy parts aren't quite as you know they're not the center of this movie. Right. Uh, it's it's the women. Um, and yay for that. Um, but in, in, in musical theater these days, that's pretty rare. But um, mm. but I think um, but I, I think I would have preferred Donny Osmond if only for the singing would have been a gazillion times better. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, I don't think Pierce Brosnan brought much to the table acting wise either. So I think no, it's putting of, a Donny Osmond there would have would have been fine. I think it would yeah. have been like, yeah, I lost much in the acting department and you would have gained a ton in the singing department. So bingo, bingo. Actually, that's a great segue because, folks, we all know that with movie musicals, you need to have four areas, categories firing on all cylinders to really, truly make it a hit. And that, of course, is the singing, dancing, acting and design because the movie has to look good as well. So what we like to do here is, you know, go through each category, singing, dancing, acting, design and read it one through ten. Ten obviously being the best, one being the worst. So, Denise, I want to start with you. How did you rate the singing one through ten for this film? I'm going to have to go like five. Mm. I was not, I mean, I love the songs and, and some of them aren't all that challenging, which is, which is at least nice. You know, it's not like they're singing Sondheim. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but I think I, I thought Meryl Streep was fine. Although I would have, you know, she doesn't, I don't think have the powerhouse vocals to do winner takes it all. I mean, mm -hmm. it's okay. But Having heard it sung by, you know, a lot of the Broadway women, it just didn't have the same impact for me. Um, I also found it weird that I know this isn't doesn't have anything to do with the singing, but I found it weird that she was singing it to him. The times I recall seeing the stage show, it's more of like an introspective thing. Yeah, they, they did a bunch of that. There. 
Exactly. Because I felt bad for him. He was just kind of stuck there with nothing to, I, you right. know, a hard. Anyway, that's an aside. But um, I think the the strongest singers were Sky and and um, Sophie. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Sky. On a side note, my daughter doesn't care for him at all, but I like. <laughs> uh, not just because he had six pack abs. I, I actually found him appealing, but and I thought his voice was pleasant. Um, but I mean, Pierce Brosnan was awful. None of the guys were really great singers, um, right? Um, well, I think that's the problem with this movie is that for every great singer that's in it, you've got a terrible singer that just brings down the average. And I was I was right there with you. I gave it a six, um, and and you gave it a five. So we're kind of thinking the same thing yeah. there. And, you know, Amanda Seyfried has a nice voice. I mean, she was in Les Mis after that. So, she, you know, obviously she can she can sing. But, I mean, if it wasn't for Pierce Brosnan, I mean, Colin Firth would be right there as the worst singer in this movie um, and things like that. So, again, it's, you know, for every Christine Baranski, uh, we get a uh, Colin Firth or a Stellan Sarsgaard. Or, or At least people... Colin Firth didn't have to sing too much, though. I That's mean, true. Brosnan, <laughs> when, it, when you get to the end and there's that, the, there's a song when they're at the wedding reception after yes. the wedding and he's singing. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I don't remember seeing this. Now, to be honest, I've only seen the stage show live once and it was on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. So they shorten them. So, mm-hmm. you know, cause they don't want to have an intermission. Um, it was actually really well done. Um, yeah. The, the Royal, we've seen three shows now on Royal Caribbean cause we go every Christmas. And I have to nice. say um, anyone who disses cruise ship actors, those people are working hard and they were good. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Anyway. Um, but I didn't remember that song being in it. I asked my daughter and she didn't remember it being in the stage version either. And I was like, why did they add more? If they added it, why did they add more singing for him? And if they didn't add it, why didn't they just cut it? <laughs> well, that might be, that might be a good segue into our next section later on. So we'll definitely bring that up again. Save, uh, save that thought. <laughs> save that thought. Exactly. All right. So dancing. You know, what's the interesting thing about this movie, not, not a big dance movie. I mean, I, you know, as I was watching it, there were, I mean, there were obviously, you know, big production numbers, but it just doesn't have. It wasn't a, dancey dancey. Yeah. Yeah. It no, didn't look it like it was like heavy choreography. Moving and doing simpler. Um, and, and from what I remembered seeing the stage show, there was a lot more dancing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The stage show is a lot more dancey than the, than the musical. And I mean, than the movie, um, you know, maybe it's just a, a product of what they could tape, you know, what they could, I, 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 who knows? I don't know. But <laughs> I, I, I kind of was a little disappointed when I rewatched it. Um, I actually rewatched it this morning. I was a little disappointed because I, I wanted there to be more dancing. Um, yeah. I mean, I liked the big scenes like um, Voulez-vous, you know, yeah. it was, it was, it was they, the way the camera moved. It was fun. I love that song. Um, but there wasn't as much dancing as I remembered in that or Dancing Queen or any of the other ones. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's why I gave it a four for dance. I don't, what, did, what did you give it for dance? I gave it a five. Yeah. So we're, again, we're, we're yeah. on the same wavelength and, you know, even the, the ones that, that I thought did have, you know, choreography, like for instance, um, does your mother know uh, on the beach there? It yeah. just, yeah, the movement they were doing, you could see what they were trying to do, but even, I mean, it looked out of, out of order. I mean, there were guys that were definitely off beat and things like that. It just, yeah, a lot of it just was not working choreography wise um so yeah not a dance movie not a dance movie um acting what do you think for acting on this overall performance wise overall um i, I gave it my highest score of of the three i gave it a seven oh, um great yeah i i i think mostly because i liked meryl streep's acting so much and i liked and i really liked the, the her two sidekick women mm-hmm. um loved like i loved the scene where uh, you know, there was one scene where they were talking about sex, I believe, you know, yes. and yeah, <laughs> as a woman of a certain age, I, I like that. And I liked their repartee and the way they, um, interacted with each other. Um, um, the guys, it's harder to judge the guys cause they didn't have as much to do. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, you know, for as much as they're on screen that their, their characters weren't all that well developed. Um, right. Not a fault of them, I think, just a fault of, you know, when you really think about it, this whole thing takes place in what, 24 hours, 48 I think hours? It, yeah, like 48 hours. It's a weekend, they yeah. The day before the wedding, and then it ends at the end of the wedding. So, I mean, you're talking about it. So there's not a lot of real time for a lot of um, character development. So I think the strongest performances you get are, are like, 
Meryl Streep and Amanda Seyfried just because they have the most, you know, conflict and meat and stuff to work with. Definitely, definitely. I, I, I gave it an eight as well. Um, I gave it, you know, we high score there. Close. You and I are on the way. So this is why this is why you're a great co-host, because you and I thinking exactly the same things here. Yeah, I yeah. think for I mean, this is I think why you cast these people in these roles. I mean, it, granted, it's not a, I don't think it's a book that you need to go deep in terms of your method and you know no. um and I think there were moments where Meryl Streep, you know, I think added this extra emotional, you know, edge to a scene or into her character that I think, you know, probably wasn't needed at when they wrote the film. Uh, yeah. And they're like, hey, okay, she's giving a great performance. Let's just keep going with this. Um, like, are you, you going to tell Meryl Streep to stop acting? Really? Right. Come on now, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think this is, I mean, this is, I think, the the best you know, acted, uh, you know, film, um, you know, for, for these actors to be in. I, I think that's why you got these people to be in this mo movie. Um, yeah. you know, you know, not, to, not because of their <laughs> singing ability, which, you know, we'll, we'll talk about later on as well. Um, so design wise, I, here's my, here's my, my score. I gave it a 10 for design. This is my highest score. Cause I think first of all, just cinematography wise, it looks great. Secondly, uh, you know, they filmed basically the entire movie on the Greek islands and it, just in terms of the design, the costuming, um, I, I just, I was, I loved watching this. And like I said, it looked like a, a two hour commercial for the Greek isles. How, how did you feel about the design about this film? Yeah, I gave it a nine for the same I, reason, I think. I, and I think that's, you know, partly why so many people love this movie is just because mm. it's a pretty looking movie. You know, it looks pretty. It looks fun. It looks cheerful. That makes you happy. You know, the, the colors are all beautiful and, and you know, the ocean is beautiful. And, and even the way, you know, the way they did the big crowd scenes like Voulez-Vous and the way the camera moved and the, where the, when they're dancing basically through the the you know, there's parts where there's like Meryl Streep is like the Pied Piper of Greece leading mm -hmm. the through the, you know, it, it's, it's pretty, it's fun to watch. It's definitely not, I mean, it's one of those weird things where I'm like watching this and I had the same feeling I get when I watch like a Nancy Myers movie where I'm like, I want that lifestyle. Like I want to live that life. And I know it can't happen, but, um, something about that lifestyle. So I didn't watch like a Nancy Myers movie, like, um, you know, the holiday or, you know, it's oh, complicated or, you know, like that's, that's a lifestyle I want to live. Then I watch mom and me. I'm like, yeah, I could totally give all this all up and move to the Greek Isles. That and then I'm like college and the cottage and the holiday. Oh, oh my gosh. Right. Live there. So there's just something about, I think, just the style of these films that just makes it so attractive to live that lifestyle, which makes, I think it more relatable and, and therefore more entertaining. So I think, yeah, you're, I think you're hundred percent right on that. So um, folks, we know that when you're adapting these movie musicals, especially when you're adapting it from a stage production, not everything makes the cut or sometimes songs are added or, you know, whatnot. So we like to do this section called numbers that we needed for songs that usually didn't make the cut um, or, songs that we could do without for ones that maybe just we could have been fine without and then finally if we've got five minutes to watch this film what number are you fast forwarding to now before i i go into this i need to preface this with you denise what's interesting about this movie and i kind of looked at both the score and the film soundtrack pretty much all the songs are there but they did them in a different order which is what you kind of you kind of alluded to this earlier in the um podcast we're like wait a second i don't remember that and that being there, they did change the order of a lot of these songs uh, for the movie, which I thought was interesting. But well, that is interesting. Yeah, I was trying to think of what, if anything, they caught, and I couldn't figure out anything that was missing. Um, I didn't do what you did though, which is go look and compare. But um, but that's interesting. So they they they. Yeah, so everything's in there. I mean, there's 21 songs in the in the stage show. There's 21 songs in the movie. Um, they're just different they're in different order so to speak so yeah. like one one uh, number that takes place in act two is actually in the beginning of this movie the very first song that you hear her sing that i had a dream that actually closes the show um the stage show so it's like yeah there's little things here and there they're like wait a second um didn't remember that part so to speak so yeah not really i i, I put a non-applicable for numbers that we needed because um they're there they're all there. But I mean, as an ABBA fan, did you, were there songs that you were hoping that were going to be in this movie that weren't? 
No, mostly because I think because I knew from the stage show what was in the stage show. Mm. The only thing I always think is weird is why they use Waterloo only for the encore. I love that song. They couldn't, <laughs> I mean, it's not like they worked the other songs into the plot really well. They couldn't have worked that one in somewhere. Like, right. Why do they only use it in the encore? Well, I guess I mean spoiler alert. They they figured it out in the sequel. Um, so when they did the, when they did the uh, movie, honest, I have not seen the sequel yet. Okay, so I won't. There's I won't one spoil song it any in further. that that really always freaks me out. It's that I kiss the teacher or something. I'm like, oh, okay. And me too. We're doing this. I'm really not sure how I feel about that. But. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think the only song for me, I think that I knew of ABBA that I was surprised that wasn't in the Mamma Mia. At least the first one was Fernando. Um, oh yeah, but again, that's in the second one. So yeah, mystery. Song, well, I guess right? they had to leave something. Had, had to, to leave, leave had to leave one of their hits out of there. Exactly. So how about numbers that we could do without? Any songs in this one that you're like, Ugh, probably didn't need that. Yeah. Um, for me, it's and it's not so much that I don't like the song. It's just that it doesn't. Well, I mean, nothing super advances the plot, but this is a whole side plot that never gets really developed. Is um, take it easy. With the mm. whole with Chris, now I love Christine Baranski's performance. I love her, but it's just this weird little um, subplot that doesn't. Other than that song, I didn't see any other like a ton of interaction between those two characters in the movie. Right, it seems to kind of come out of nowhere, um, and and I think that's why it it you know it bothered me. Probably wouldn't bother me so much if there was more like flirtation between them beforehand or something, and mm-hmm. then. Um, but uh, yeah, I think if I I, I think that's so, sorry, Christine Baranski, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> we all do, yeah. For me, I, I actually it was the it was the first song you hear in the movie that I have a dream, um, song that Sophie's singing as she's like sailing her boat across the bay to go mail these letters, um, and then you hear kind of at the end of the movie too, just because it's like I, I don't think you really need a song there. Um, I think it's just a weird moment that you know. Yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like, I think they, the makers and creators thought, okay, we have to have an opening number here. We have to have a song to kind of kick off a movie musical. Um, maybe they, I just think maybe they probably picked the wrong one. Um, because again, it's just, I just don't think you need a song in that particular moment. And, and starting a movie musical off with a ballad is, you know, I don't know. That's never, it's never good that's for me. sure. I it's different, yeah. pretty though. Maybe it's just because I like the cinematography of it was so pretty with the way oh, she yeah. was on the and the you know and then the yellow of the mailbox and uh you know so i i thought uh i thought that was pretty cool definitely definitely all right so denise you've got five minutes to watch this movie what number are you fast forwarding to voulez-vous hands down yeah (laughs) (laughs) i just i love that song i like the fact that there's a lot of action happening on the screen there's there's it's a dramatic part of the movie because there's a lot of tension you know Mm -hmm. with juggling the three dads and all that and i just I just love that song. So definitely voulez-vous, hands down. Yeah, that was up there for me. I mean, for me, I'm going to go to Take a Chance on Me because that's actually my favorite ABBA song. Um, And just the way that they shot it with her, uh, with Rosie kind of like, you know, trying to get Bill and stuff like that. I just thought it was hilarious. Um, I do love that. And I love that character. And again, see, as as the woman of a certain age, that's the kind of stuff I like because, you know, they're letting her go after the guy and mm-hmm. you know um and that that was a lot of fun i do like that too that's awesome that's awesome all right folks sometimes with these movies you know they're made at a certain time or they're set in a certain time and this movie is actually 11 years old so sometimes things are dated but other things are timeless um so we like to kind of do a thing where you know what's dated what's timeless about this movie so denise i'm gonna start with you what are some of the timeless things that you found uh in this film well, let's face it, the whole mother-daughter dynamic, that's never mm, changed, you know? Definitely not. Um, so that that's always going to resonate with moms and daughters. Um, you know, the, the, the fantasy element of it in terms of the, you know, the living on the Greek islands and, you know, the, the, the beautiful lifestyle and, mm. um, you know, stuff that we've alluded to um, already in this podcast. I don't think that's ever going to change. People are always going to want, you know, sun and sand and at least I do. <laughs> but I, and I think a lot of people do, you know, as I'm sitting here with fingerless gloves on, cause it's so cold. Oh my uh, gosh. Uh, but uh, you know, so I think that's definitely timeless. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. I think, you know, mother daughter relationships, especially during this period in both their lives. I mean, it's just, it's one of those 
those, um, you know, themes and tropes that you just, they just work, always work well in movies. And I'm never going to get sick and tired of seeing that um, whatsoever. I mean, and, so, and you nailed it too. I mean, the Greek Island mystique. Yeah, and, it's, about, and the mother daughter thing's universal. Every culture, yeah. it's across every culture, you know, it's, so it's not, you know, that, that makes it even more timeless. Definitely. Definitely. How about dated? Anything dated in this movie? I, I, I got to go back to, again, I'm really sorry, Christine Baranski, but, um, but the Take It Easy song to me just felt, you know, and maybe it's because we're super sensitive now with me mm. too and, and the age thing and all this. It just felt um, a little squicky. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is that <laughs> if it is? A little forced. Yeah. Yeah. A little, a little, I, I don't want to say cringeworthy because I didn't find it that bad, but there was just like a little, eh. If, um, for me, it felt like they had this song. And if you listen to the lyrics, it's like, okay, well, let's see what we can do with this. And let's just make sure we put it, put it in the show someplace. Uh, yeah. Which is what happens when you get these jukebox musicals, you know? Yeah. And again, it probably wouldn't have bothered it as mu- us as much if it was, if that subplot was more developed. Right. Right. Um, but it was like that song is the subplot and then it goes away. You know, mm. for me, I think the only dated thing in this movie that I found was just the fact that Sophie physically mailed those letters you know like, oh yeah you know i didn't think about that, think in 20 yeah. i think in 20 i mean even if if let's say this movie takes place you know in the present day of when the movie was made in 2008 2009 i mean she's sending an email i mean it's like Although it's a wedding invitation oh that's and true it's a wedding you're right it is a wedding invite by mail so i mean you're i think right. now ironically though now i think a lot of people are starting to do them by email which i think is kind of tacky it's your wedding. i agree so i agree what, don't put the damn mail. But. I, you know what? I didn't. To me, I didn't even think about being an actual invitation. I thought it was just a letter saying "come to this wedding." But no, you're 100 percent right. If that was, if it was a wedding invitation, absolutely, you send that in the physical mail. Um, but if not, then she could have easily achieved that with an email rather than and, um, or also track them down more and found out, learned more about them by Google. I mean, it's right. like, it doesn't appear that she's that she's Googled any of her potential three dads. And you think it doesn't look like there's a lot of technology on that Island. And I'm like, there's probably probably more technology on that Island than, than what was portrayed. The internet. So yeah, exactly. Uh, One of my next books is set in Greece. So I better figure that out. Oh yeah. Better just, (laughs) well, they're perfect excuse for a vacation in the Greek Isles there. Yeah. Doing research. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, we'd like to give out some awards on this podcast because that's what we do. And we, you know, we want to hand out some awards and these are very prestigious and esteemed awards. One is called the Barbara award, which we give to who we feel is the best singer in this movie. And then there's the flip side. And this is actually an interesting award, which I'll get into a little bit later, but we call it the Russell Crowe award uh, for the worst singer or least great singer in this movie named after, of course, Russell Crowe from Les Miserables. And then the final award that we give is called the Bumlet Award. Now, the Bumlet Award is pretty interesting because this is named after a character in Newsies, which in our last podcast, which was Newsies, we kind of explained who this guy was. If you watch King of New York, he's the guy spinning on the fan at the end of that number who does this killer pirouette into a turn, into a landing. And he was played by a guy named Dominic Pacero, who sadly has passed away. But I wanted to name a award after him for an ensemble member, extra supporting cast member, whoever it is, non-principal role who just kills it in this film or is memorable in some way or fashion. You can't take your eyes off of him or her uh, for the rest of the film. So Denise, I'm going to start with you. Who gets your Barbara award for Mamma Mia? Honestly, this one was tough for me because Mm. I didn't think there was one huge standout singer. Um, But I'm, I'm going to go with Amanda Seyfried. Yeah, same here. Same here. I just thought she's got the most. I mean, she's she's the most singer singer of them all. Mm-hmm. I liked Sky too. I didn't think he was bad, but he didn't doesn't sing that much. So I, I've got to go with her. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Amanda's an actual singer, and for me, I I agree. I was it was tough because I think give if it was a different show, if it was a different score. I mean, Christine Baranski has an incredible singing voice. Yeah, uh, but she's more classical. Yeah. yeah, she just doesn't have the opportunity to. I mean, she's playing a character role, so she's right singing, which is fine. But she just doesn't have the opportunity to really showcase her voice in this. Exactly, and this was actually Meryl Streep's first movie musical. So this is before Into the Woods, before oh. obviously Mary Poppins Returns. So we had no idea that she could sing, 
and she i thought she did a, a fine job but yeah i think you're right i mean for me the sealer for amanda seyfried was uh when she did uh, lay all your love on me on the rocks there yeah um displayed some really nice vocals probably studio enhanced but that's okay um but uh I thought she did a great job there. That's that's the moment where I was like, yep, she's the winner of that award. I agree. All right, so the Russell Crowe Award. Now, before you give out your award. One at the same time. What was that? <laughs> two, three. All right, go ahead. Ready? One, one two, two, three. three. Pierce, Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> there you go. Now, here's the funny thing, folks. When I was actually creating this award, I, no joke, almost called it the Pierce Brosnan Award for this very movie, obviously. Um let me ask you something. What was your first reaction when you heard him start singing in this movie? Oh, it's just, I think it's just that it's like, Oh, I mean, he's, he's pitchy. He's uh, it's, it's just bad. It's just, it's, it's terrible. Be bad. <laughs> and you know, the funny thing is there's no excuse for it because first of all, they're not singing live. It's not lame is. So it's not, they're not singing live. They, they could, you could easily have brought in someone else to sing for him. Um, it was just, it was very odd that they're just like, yeah, okay. Yeah. That's we're, we're good with that. We're good with that take. Let's yeah. put it in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I can see leaving the other two guys singing the way it was. Cause it wasn't great, but it was so, so limited. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really bother you, but Sam had so much more singing than either of the other two char guy characters. Right. Um, and then they had him sing again. Like I said, in the, in the, freaking wedding reception i was like just stop oh my gosh it was hilarious i remember watching this i, I didn't see it in the theaters i saw it when it came out on um, on itunes or digital and you know when he's singing during that our, our last summer on the boat i'm like oh gosh that wasn't good and then when yeah. you when you start to see that he's about to sing again later on in the movie you're like oh no oh no and it's it's so cringeworthy bad that i feel i actually i, I actually muted it I actually turned down the volume and during the lot, that song. The lot, a lot of the stuff he has to sing is so ballady, and oh that gosh. you know, if you're a, if you're not a great singer, you can maybe get away with some up tempo, poppy kind of stuff a little bit more. But mm -hmm. but to fake a ballad, I think at least, is much harder. And yeah. you know, so I think that didn't didn't help at all. That you know, like that our last summer, you know, it's this supposed to be this touching ballad thing, and it just oh. Definitely. Definitely. All right, Denise, who gets your bumlet award? Who is the one person in the background or the ensemble or whoever that right, you're just like, hard for me. What, are we, what are we talking background ensemble? Or can it be secondary characters? Because I didn't, there was nobody in like the, you know, because again, we were talking about how we thought this was going to be more dancey and it's not really, there's no like background character. That right. Right. No, absolutely. It, it could be secondary characters. Anybody who's just not the lead. Okay. All is right. up for the bumlet. There you go. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to go with, well, this is tough. Cause I really like Christine Baranski and Julie Walters. It's going to be mm. one of them. Um, but I, I think I'm going to go with Julie just for her, that fab number she does where she's chasing Bill all over the place. <laughs> there you go. I think that's a great choice. I mean, so, and she does, she's got a lot of moments in this movie like that. Yeah. Yeah. She's very funny. Um, I think probably I'm going with her because I definitely identify most with her. Mm -hmm. Um, if I ever was to, um, I used to do a lot of amateur theater. I haven't in years, but if I ever was to go back on the stage in this show, that would definitely be <laughs> a part I would wind up playing. Um, the one weird thing with her, though, the, and this isn't her problem, but why on the boat in the beginning does the guy have her book, cookbook? Yeah, he just happens to have her book in his pocket. And he's like, oh my gosh, is she the most famous author in the was it a cookbook i, I couldn't tell I what book it was i thought it was a cookbook but whatever the book was it's like why does he have her book and right. it's like i know you want to convey that she's an author but they did that in the very next scene where she was like oh come on you need a man now you're a famous author you didn't need the the book thing in the beginning but right <laughs> uh, i probably should have mentioned that when i was talking about weird plot holes but i forgot it until we were that's a that. i think that's a great plot hole to bring up now though absolutely you know for me my bomb that's going to go to the guy pepper who is the uh who is pursuing christine baranski in this movie um just because i it's not not necessarily for like man what an incredible performance blah blah blah, but definitely just the most memorable non-lead actor of and it just i think you're right it just storyline wise it doesn't make sense and then just physicality wise i'm like yeah i just don't see it and then 
Um, I mean, no, no offense to the actor who's playing him, uh, whose name I found out is Philip Michelle or Philip Michael, but um, I'm not entirely sure he likes women. So it was very like one of those like, ooh, he looks like he's really forcing this performance. Uh, but yeah, that one definitely was the most memorable to me. So uh, I'm going to give him my bumlet on that one as well. So there you go. So good awards there. I thought all, all worthy award winners there. Denise, I have a final question for you. Okay. Years from now, should this movie get a remake? No. <laughs> I'm going to go with no. Um, maybe because I'm just against remakes on the whole. I mean, mm. there, there's so much original stuff we could be doing. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd, I'd rather see new stuff. And while I like this movie and it's fun and it's light, I don't know that it's something that deserves a retread. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I think we got the sequel, which you know, again, that, there's a there's a ten year gap there between the, this one and then the and then the sequel. So I think that was enough uh, for for people. Basically, I don't think there's going to be a third one. I, I I don't think there's any more songs you could probably do there. Oh, um, ABBA music, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think you're running out of ABBA music there. But um, yeah, I think I I I I wouldn't put this in the necessary like. It's it's sacred, hallowed ground, and therefore you shouldn't touch it. Like you know, a sound of music, uh, or you know, West Side Story, but they're doing that anyway. Um, so, but I just don't get. I don't think you need a, a remake. I, it's just one of those movies that's just like, yeah, I think you've you've done enough. Maybe maybe this will be a popular choice for a Fox Live television production someday. That wouldn't surprise me in the least. That uh, would be. I wouldn't have a problem I, I, I with could that. See them. I could see them doing that, and yeah, you know, a whole other po- podcast on the the NBC and Fox live and the pros and cons of them. Um, but, um, but I could see this being something that they would gravitate toward be- because it has a-, a little more mass appeal than, you know, doing something like, you know, Natasha Pierre and the great comet of 1812. Bingo. Which, which a lot of people are hoping for. So there you go. Oh. Um, Denise, this is an amazing pleasure to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for, for taking some time to talk about a movie that obviously you and your daughter are a fan of. Do you want to do a quick shout out to your daughter, by the way? Because we've been talking about her this entire podcast. She might kill me if I do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, then let's just say this to Denise's daughter. Thank you for your input. Yes, and uh, you. <laughs> I'll tell her first name. That's about it. Thanks. For there you go. All the, for all the help. And best wishes on the rest of uh, the school year at uh, at her college because obviously she sounds like she's she's doing some amazing things. Denise, is there anything you'd like to promote? Plug? I mean, you, I know you mentioned that you write under Nanda Plume, so I don't want to give that away because obviously, you know, to obviously, you know, keep that mystery alive if, if that's what you want. But um, is there anything that you like to plug, promote, anything going on? Oh, I'll give I'll I'll give up my nom de plume. I I oh, just okay. I have a separate. Uh, it's not a secret. People who know me know it. I just I just have a separate name because of my day job. Sure. Um, I write because I write under the name Regina Kyle, and several of my romances are actually theater themed. My very Ooh. first book that I ever sold, people told me I would never sell because uh, nobody uh, buys theater romance or nobody understands theater to write it. And um, I got really lucky and I, I happened, it happened to land on the desk of an editor at Harlequin who was as huge of a theater geek as I am. So when she, (laughs) when she got it, she said, she told me later, she took it into her boss's office and said, I finally have a theater book. And her boss says, nobody gets theater. Nobody can write it. Nobody understands it. And she said to her, this woman does. So um, I write under the name Regina Kyle. And my first book is called appropriately since it's theater themed triple threat. So triple threat. Oh my gosh. Where can people find that book? Is it on like the, all the usual Amazons and stuff like that or Amazon Barnes and Noble right now, that one you can't get in print anymore. Um, because I wrote for what's called a category line. So after a certain time, it's like each month there'd be four new books from that line in Barnes and Noble. And then the next month there'd be four new books. So once the paperbacks are sold out, they don't do reruns, reprints, but, um, but um, they're all available and all my books are available in e-form. And I have a website too www.reginakyle.com reginakyle.com amazing do you want to tease any forthcoming books or anything that's coming up soon well what i'm actually well that's why some of it sort of ties into this because the series i'm working on now that i hope to have the first book to my editor by the next in the next couple of next few days um is um mediterranean millionaires so they're romances (laughs) that take place in the mediterranean the first one's uh, in italy the second one's going to be in greece and the third one is spain 
So, oh my gosh, that's yeah. just, I mean, I'm, I'm sold. I'm ready to go. Um, and of course, like I said before, you have to go and visit these places because for research, you know, you want to exactly. make sure these things are accurate. So <laughs> there you go. Well, Denise Smoker, thank you so much for joining us folks. Um, like I said before, we're, we're doing these every single week. Uh, next week we are doing, I guess, I, you know, I'll just say it right now. We're, we're breaking the Disney, um, barrier and we're doing Hercules next week. One of my favorite animated oh. movie musicals of all time. That is a good one. Yeah. So really looking forward to that one. And actually it's funny cause I mentioned before someday we're going to do something about fathers and sons. Sure enough, next week we're doing something about fathers and sons. So, uh, there yeah. you go. Um, but uh, like I said, we're going to do these every single week on the on the Onstage Blog Network. Uh, we also have some new podcasts that are starting up there. Um, we already put up the Nobodies in New York podcast. We're really lucky to have the brothers Stu and Alex uh, contributing to the Onstage Blog Network, and we've more to come. So keep your eye on that because I, I guess the goal is to have dozens of these podcasts available to you um, every single day on the Onstage Blog Network. But thank you so much, Denise. I really appreciate your time tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure. This will be the first, but certainly not the last. Folks, have a great night. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. I hold a PhD in horribleness. See you at the aftermath. Peace. I have a dream. A song to sing. A song to sing.